It's a hockey, you know, it's only, it's only game. Young men expressing themselves for joy. Why do you have to be mad? These guys are jerks. It's only game. It's a cheap dirty game. It's only game. Why do you have to be mad? Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Kukupful Stat Attack Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Gallinan. It's been a two-week break since the last show due to the All-Star break, and I hope everyone got through the break intact and ready to turn up the gas for the 2020 Cupful playoffs. On this week's show, I'll be chatting to a man who makes a living from playing fantasy hockey. That's right, such a person exists. He is Joe Attila. He's the general manager of Joe's team in Tier 1 in Sweden, and he chatted to me on Sunday evening about his pro poker career, making a living from daily fantasy, and how he approached this year's auction draft. For this week's deep dive I'll be taking a look at how important it is to be active in streaming and the numbers that back this up and we'll take a look at the fantasy team of the week, Cupful performer and matchup of the week, the top 5 Cupful teams overall by points and I'll be announcing the next 6 teams to have clinched their berth in the 2020 playoffs. But first here's last night's interview with Joe Attila of Joe's team in Tier 1 Sweden. This week's guest on the Stat Attack podcast is Joe Attila. Joe is the general manager of Joe's team, imaginatively named, in Sweden in Tier 1. Joe, you're very, very welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. Um, it's great to have somebody in from Tier 1. I know uh, Elam was getting a bit angsty. He wanted somebody from his division in to, to talk fantasy and maybe try and uh, get a few secrets out of you that he can use against you. It's possible that you two might be going up against each other in the playoffs at some point. So uh, I know Elam, for one, will be listening quite closely to this. Well, funny story. Every time I drop a player, he picks them up right after me. So <laughs> <laughs> that might be uh, that might be a deep dive in itself. I might have a look at who. <laughs> and then once he drops post. them, I wait a week or two after they go through their slump and pick them back up. So it's working <laughs> out well. Nice, um, Joe. Can you just introduce yourself? Maybe tell us uh, where you're from, where you're based, and do you have a particular NHL team who you follow? Um, I'm based out of San Francisco. Uh, I actually follow the Vegas Golden Knights. I lived out in Vegas right when they were getting the team. So that's when I started kind of getting into the team there. And then I, I grew up following the Sharks, but they're terrible now. So I can't really watch them. <laughs> So you're pretty fluid. You can move from team to team. You don't have too yeah, much of allegiance. Yeah, I, I watch a lot of the West Coast games. So I'm all also, you know, like quite a few players on Arizona and Nashville and stuff like that. But Nice. Do you have a favorite player, a favorite NHL player yourself? Uh, Mark Stone. And then runner up is like Nathan McKinnon. And then I also like Christian Dvorak quite a bit as like an underdog player. Nice. Uh, Dvorak is a guy who has probably benefited a little bit from the Taylor Hall addition to the Coyotes. Definitely. Great. Um, do you have any interesting facts about yourself? Now, I know we're going to get into a little bit of detail about what you do for a living um, or what you've done in the past for a living. I don't know if your interesting fact intersects with that. Yeah, that's usually what people want to talk about. Uh, I was a professional poker player for about 10 years plus. I still play a little bit here and there. And now my main focus is daily fantasy sports, specifically hockey. Yeah, so you've told me that your main income is daily fantasy hockey. So you're effectively that's a pro. A, you're a pro fantasy hockey player. Yep. <laughs> that's uh, that's pretty unique, and that's really interesting to get somebody on who has that perspective. Um, how long have you been playing fantasy hockey for in general? Um, I started uh, with DFS about seven, eight years ago when all the online poker sites got shut down. Um, by the Department of Justice. I was looking for something to do with myself, and that's when I kind of got into daily fantasy sports. And then I didn't start playing season long until I actually joined the Cupful. 
I've done fantasy football for a long, long time, but I didn't, I didn't get into season-long fantasy hockey until listening to Keeping Carlson. So, Okay, and do you find there's a huge intersection between the daily and the, say, Cupful-type uh, season-long fantasy I hockey? would say it's very different strategies, actually. Okay, okay. Because matchups it. matter a lot more in, in daily fantasy sports, um, and you're also looking for upside, usually, where in the season-long, you're just looking for good, consistent players. Okay, and how do you find that your background in, say, pro poker um, helps you to keep your, your head level and keep your, yourself analytical in terms of fantasy sports? Uh, you kind of get used to the variance a little bit, although it never completely goes away. You know, when you're going on weeks of losing, you, you, can, mm. you never quite get used to it. But <laughs> you kind of uh, learn that it's just part of, you know, just goes, goes along with it. Yeah, you take the rough with the smooth, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you do you play any other sports in daily fantasy, or is it just hockey or primarily uh, hockey? I focus on hockey. Yeah. Okay, and you've told me that you've built. Um, you're on your third iteration of a model that you've built for daily fantasy. Um, now I know you probably won't want to give too much away on that, but uh, can you tell us a little bit about it and how it works? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm just taking you know some advanced analytics and then kind of putting it together in a secret sauce, and then it it spits out projections for. I basically do projections over an 82 season. And then when I'm projecting a matchup, I'm pretending like they're playing 82 games against each other. Okay. So and then, taking... then it kind of averages out some of the rough edges that way. Okay. And you're taking some situational stats into account, home or away, back to back, that kind of thing? De definitely. Yes. Okay. In terms of, so your model, um, I know I spoke with uh, David Prestige earlier in uh, in the Stat Attack podcast back at the start. Um, he has built himself a model for, for gambling um, on games in general. So, you know, which team is going to win, the kind of the bread and butter of, of gambling. Your model obviously goes more, more detail into specific players and player stats. Are there any values, or sorry, are there any players that your model values differently um, to what you see in, say, the, the cupful? Are there any players who you see as more valuable than people think? Well, it's funny. Zadina was popping a lot in my uh, uh, model, and then it just came out that he's, he's injured, injured for two or yeah. three weeks, so that yeah. kind of sucks. A lot of the Arizona players, my model models, models is higher projected, especially with the Hall pickup, so that I actually picked up Garland right after Elon dropped him, like I was talking about. I have him projected pretty high since he's playing with Dvorak and Hall now. I think that's all the ones that pop to my mind right now. If, if any other come to my mind, I'll, I'll let you know while we're talking. Sure, yeah. Um, are you in any other leagues other than the Cupful in terms of season-long fantasy hockey at the moment? No, I'm not. Okay, so it's purely daily fantasy and the Cupful. Um, yep. I'll I'll have a look then at your Cupful setup. So your your team name. Um, I don't need to ask you any questions about that. <laughs> Joe's team does what it says on the tin. I've been um, busy this year, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, your record. Uh, now I guess since we're talking about Sweden and Tier One here, I need a little bit of context. The level, the standard of player in that division is quite incredible, really. Um, it's the highest scoring division by quite some distance. The best of the best are in there, naturally. Your current record is 9-6, and six, which in other divisions might not sound great. Um, I think you've been a little bit unlucky from looking at what I, what I term uh, expected wins. So I think you're probably a win or two behind where you should be. You're the highest scoring team in the division. You look like possibly you might lose your matchup this week. Um, Again, you... I'm the second highest scorer uh, up against the first highest score in the league yeah yeah so, so that's what i mean in terms of expected wins and bad luck um you would have beaten 10 out of 
or, or sorry, 12 out of the 14 teams this week, uh, but you happen to play the one who would beat you. So yeah. uh, it's really unfortunate. You're standing, however, you're second at the moment. I don't know if that might change tonight. You're looking good for the playoffs anyway, although you may have to play in a quarterfinal. How have you found this season's couple? And can you maybe tell us about your experience in the couple so far? Uh, yeah, this this season very competitive. I definitely liked the the auction draft. I think that made things a lot more interesting. Um, and yeah, it, when there's a player that gets hot or is moving up in the lineup or moving to the power play, he doesn't last long in in this division. That's for sure. Yeah, so you're um, 18th in the overall standings. We're just having a look here at your performance. So out of 252 teams in terms of total points, you're 18th, which is which is extra remarkable when you consider how competitive the top division is. So points are, are harder to come by there. Your lowest rank this season was just 26th, so you've been right up near the top for the whole season. As you said, it's uber competitive. You've got very uh, high competition on waivers. In terms of waiver claims, do you go quite deep on those or say at the start of a week on a Monday, would you be quite deep with maybe three or four different players targeted or how deep do you go there? Yeah, usually I'm not really targeting specific players. I'm just looking for games played that week and to fill in my schedule. Um, And then I'll just look at certain teams and then have a list of, you know, two or three players um, from that team that I'm, I'm targeting and just putting claims for all of them. And then I don't. I don't really put in any bids unless there's a player I really want to pick up. And I usually just use $0 bids the whole season. Okay, so that explains why you have so much of your uh, your fab left. Yep. Um, are you looking to maybe use that to your advantage when the playoffs come around? Yeah, if there's you know any situations you know where I can use that and, and pick up a player that's going to you know move to the top power player and move to the top line or something like that, that'll definitely be useful, especially the you know on defense because you know I lost Dougie Hamilton, so that that really hurt my team. Yeah, I'll get into that in a minute. I know you've lost uh, Couture and Hamilton in the last few weeks, so um, that's probably hit you quite significantly. Just the next question I have is, um, now I know Tier 1 Sweden, we've mentioned a couple of times, is uber competitive. Are there any kind of little tricks that you've noticed people pulling that you wouldn't have seen before? So a couple of things that I've noticed in in other divisions is maybe players uh, leaving all their roster on the bench to throw the projections off on Yahoo or teams changing their names every week to try and confuse people or anything along those lines. I think Dave kept changing his his team name to other people's names in the league just every week. <laughs> I don't I don't know if there was a strategy behind it, but <laughs> and I remember you mentioning like people sitting people on the bench and then so that the projections would be off. I don't know if it's people just being lazy and not setting their lineup till later in the week or if they're doing that on purpose. I have noticed that quite a bit this 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 season, but uh, yeah, I'm not so- sure if it's strategy or laziness. So. I've started using it. So I'm the kind of guy who will set my lineup. Um, so today I will have set my lineup for next week and the week after just to get an idea of my uh, who, who's sitting on the bench or whatever. But I've started to throw people onto the bench more often, you know, next week just to give somebody who I'm playing maybe a false sense of security that they're going to be competitive. And then I uh, I hit them when it gets towards the weekend and I start <laughs> throwing the players back on back in the, the lineup. Hammer. Yeah, so I think if there's one tip that I could give people there, it's uh, make sure you go through your opponent's lineup for the next seven days and make sure they're not trying to throw you off the scent. Yeah. Um, have you found it hard to get some good momentum together in Tier 1? Uh, the longest win streak in the division is five um, for any team. Uh, your longest win streak is three, so it's really hard to get you know a consecutive run of wins going. 
Yeah, I mean, with the, some of the injuries that has kind of, you know, thrown off some of my momentum when I, you know, had a couple wins in a row. I think Landeskog that went out and then I was doing well again and then Hamilton went out. So, yeah, it's been all over the place this season. Yeah, so I think um, the look of injuries and the look of the schedule as well. So, like you mentioned this week, um, you just had bad luck. You're playing the team who are top this week and you would have beaten any other team. Do you find that schedule look plays a huge part in head-to-head hockey? Fantasy yeah, goal. I mean, that's that's where most of the variance is in the season long is the, is the head-to-head matchups. It's going to be a total crapshoot when it comes down to that. Yeah, so I can see, like, just looking at your, your stats here, your uh, top 30 in goals, assists, shorthanded points, shots, blocks, goals against. How have you found goaltenders this season? Have you been as cursed as most people seem to have been? Um, not really, because I just held on to Ben Bishop and no one else. <laughs> okay. And then safe. I've picked up a few goaltenders here and there for spot starts or when they got hot for a little bit. And then I've been kind of holding on to Reimer and Ronta, hoping that one of them will kind of win the starting job and I can have a second goaltender. But we'll see how that pans out. Yeah, um, so you mentioned Ben Bishop there. He was the first player who you drafted in the auction draft. Um, for anybody who might not be familiar with auction drafting, it only happens in the Cupful in Tier 1. Um, so the other divisions use a regular snake draft. Auction drafting gives you a budget of $260 to draft your 18 players. And uh, what are the key differences, you would say, Joe, and how you approach an auction draft versus a snake draft? Uh, I, well, you just have a chance at every player. So, you know... You kind of see what other people are doing, how they're spending their money, and then you just kind of have to adapt to everybody else. And the, okay. and the fun part of it is you can kind of drive up the price on people that you know are kind of overrated. So, And especially on goalies early, we were driving up the prices a little bit. I think I overpaid for Bishop, even though it worked out. Mm. Um, and then you realize, you know, the goaltenders aren't really that valuable, especially in the scoring format. And then it's too late, and then you don't have enough money for the other players. So. Absolutely, yeah. So if I might just talk through some of the players that you drafted. Um, be, actually, before I go into that, do you have do you set a, a, a target value for each player before you go in, or how does your draft prep look for that? Uh, I just have my projections opened. I have them kind of, you know, in, listed in order by fantasy points projected over the season. And then, you know, I just kind of go off, you know, what prices people are going for. And then I also, you know, just look at what Yahoo is projecting because as much as it shouldn't influence people, it definitely does influence people. Okay, so you you kind of let the market dictate things early on. Yeah. Okay. Um. So your first draft pick was Ben Bishop at twenty seven dollars. You then went Eric Carlson at forty four, who I think was <laughs> your your second most expensive player. I, I won't go into too much detail on that. Obviously, he hasn't had a great season, nor have any of the Sharks. Your third pick, Leon Dreisaitl, at fifty one dollars. You must be happy enough with the price that you paid for him. Yeah, he's definitely out performing even my model even though i had him probably projected a little bit higher than than some other people this season yeah um you had landis gog who was out for a little while um earlier in the season couturier at 17 dollars, and then we start getting into the players who you've either dropped or lost through injury so logan couture ten dollars you have him on your ior at the moment i think yep um, Dougie Hamilton the same Dougie Hamilton yep. was having an incredible season so you, you must be happy enough with how you did with him earlier on um, that was one one player I was definitely targeting that I was willing to pay like way over market value for and it definitely was working out so <laughs> yeah I'll just keep going with uh, so you, you dropped William Carlson um, earlier well sorry a couple of weeks ago in January um, Mikhail Granlund was gone pretty early uh, further down then you have JT Miller $3 that's one that's sticking out to me <laughs> 
Um, yeah, that definitely worked out well, and he's definitely outperformed what I was was projecting this season. But it just came down to: is he going to be on that top line with Pedersen? Is he going to be on the top power play? Because if he's in that situation, he can definitely produce just like he did on the Lightning. So yeah, he's a point a game player this year. So three dollars is a, a snip for him. <laughs> um, TJ Oshie as well, two dollars. That seems quite low for him. Yeah. Um, I just think no one had any money left at that point and people forgot about him. I don't know what happened there because, you know, he's he's 55, 60 point player. He's not really outperforming anybody's projections this year. He's kind of right in line. So I think people just kind of fell asleep on him or didn't have money left at at that point in the auction. Um, Did you have any difficult drops from the players who you drafted? So you hung on to Carlson until January 16th, um, Dustin Brown. Yeah, I was running out of IR spots when uh, when yeah. Carlson got hurt, so that's why I dropped him. And I think the same thing with with Dustin Brown. Although Dustin Brown was off the top power play, and once that happens, he's he's not really uh, rosterable in my opinion. If uh, if memory serves me correct, Elon picked up William Carlson after you dropped him. Like I said, that's, that's his <laughs> strategy for his waiver wire. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, players who've streamed in then, you mentioned uh, at the start of the show, Connor Garland, um, Antti Ranta, Matt Dumba. Uh, Dumba is somebody who I dropped earlier in the season. I held on to him as long as I could. I think I probably dropped him around the same time you picked him up. Um, <laughs> you spent $13 on him. Are you happy with how he's been since? He's been picking it back up, and I think, you know, he's he's just a victim of, of low IPP, low shooting percentage, and all his underlying stats look about normal. Um, I think, it you know, it's just variance, and it should turn around. Maybe it won't, but it should turn around. He's still, I think, uh, you know... Third, third, third defenseman in this in this uh, in this league. Yeah, another player who you streamed in. Then, uh, so there are three players this season who really impressed me. Who you probably could have got for nothing. Um, you did get one of them for nothing. Uh, it's Oliver Bjorkstrand. He would be up there with the likes of Brian Rust and David Perron for me as players who probably went undrafted in the majority of uh, couple divisions. And um, you've had him since October 30th. You held him through his injury, and you're reaping the rewards of having kept him. I'd say. Yep. Uh, he was another player who his rate stats have always been there, and it's just been Tortorella just not tr- like trusting him, I guess. Or that's kind of kind of something Tortorella does with all rookies is yeah. it takes them a long time before they prove themselves and get you know some some serious minutes. Because even in ten or eleven minutes, he was sh- producing shots. His shooting percentage has always been good. His IPP. So um, yeah, this season he finally got a chance on that top line and he's been producing ever since so yeah so you were just waiting for good deployment for him to become yeah he was um, always he was always kind of on my on watch list even at the beginning of the season because he's one of the players that if he got the right opportunity he would definitely produce yeah and he has had that and he has produced so uh, congratulations to you on picking (laughs) him up for zero dollars in october next question for you joe is do you find that you only spend money when you expect that you're going to be keeping a player for a week or two or more um so i just noticed that you spent 16 dollars on ranta 13 on dumba so that's 29 dollars say you've only spent around 40 so you said earlier you're you're a zero dollar pickup kind of guy um is that a strategy that you look to continue yeah, uh, a few times if you're going into Saturday or Sunday and it's a close matchup and there's only a few teams playing um, on Sunday or both Saturday Sunday, then you have to put in you know a bigger bid just to make sure you'll you'll pick up that player for the matchup. Otherwise, I I usually use the zero or one dollar bid strategy. Yeah. 
do you have an optimal number of streaming spots for the cupful format so are you the kind of guy who maybe tries to keep two spots free for streaming or does it vary week on week for you yeah usually i would have two spots and the the two goalies like i said that i picked up are kind of taking up those spots that's definitely true for this league just because of the goalie scoring as i think needs to be you know fixed a little bit because the the minus points from the goalies really sucks <laughs> sometimes yeah so, um, I was actually chatting with Ryan McLaughlin earlier today. Um, he, as part of the Cigar League that we did uh, mid-season, um, we introduced penalty minutes as a negative as well. And <laughs> obviously, with the Battle of Alberta last night, there were <laughs> some serious <laughs> points lost for uh, for players picking up penalties. Um, well, and a better way to maybe do that is just do uh, minor minor penalties or so- something like that, where you know you don't get minus points for fighting majors, and, because that doesn't really hurt your team necessarily. Yeah. So it, it should kind of reflect what's happening on the ice as much as it can. Yeah, unfortunately, the way Yahoo have it set up, it's just minutes, so you can't really differentiate between. That um, that's the problem is it's, yeah. the options aren't available on all the sites for that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, but I, I agree. Ideally, you want just uh, just minor penalties or penalties that aren't matching. Um, to exactly. Detract from your team. Do you have uh, any trade activity, or have you had any trade activity this season? Have you made any offers? I know you haven't actually made any trades, but have you received offers or made offers? Yeah, I've chatted with a few people about you know trying to get some stuff done, but um, like like you said, it's a very difficult tier. There's usually people trying to buy low, like someone was trying to get Landeskog off me, and I'm like, well, I'm, he just got back on the top power play and back on the top line, so I don't think I'm trading yeah. him anytime soon now. So yes, yeah, so everyone in tier one is so clued in that when you receive an offer for someone you're probably kind of second guessing why they're looking for them and maybe checking twitter or checking dauber for, <laughs> yeah. is there a nagging exactly? injury i don't know about or <laughs> yeah the, the other thing is you need to trade from a position of strength and then maybe fill in your roster at another spot i've never really had that this season i've had pretty yeah. balanced lineups so i've never needed to trade necessarily great um my final two questions um first one is if there's one piece of advice that you could give to a player who gets maybe promoted into tier one sweden so normally i ask people uh, if somebody's new to the cupful but obviously you've been around the block maybe you could give a piece of advice to somebody who's promoted into tier one for next season uh just wait a week or two after elon drops a player and then pick him back up <laughs> I love it. I love it. Final question for you then, Joe, is just do you have an all-time favorite fantasy hockey player? Um, Maybe somebody who won you a few dollars in a daily fantasy game. Either. Yeah, I'd have. that's one of the reasons why I love Dvorak so much is he did very <laughs> well for me at the, uh, the DraftKings Live Championship last year. So <laughs> Nice. Thanks very much for coming on today, Joe. Uh, it was really good to chat to you. Really interesting to hear about the daily side of things. So obviously, your insights will help some players uh, going into the playoffs at the end of this season. Had a great time. Thanks for having me. Well, if that didn't convince you to quit your job and become a pro fantasy player, I don't know what will. Such an interesting chat with Joe. Really enjoyed it. And Joe has actually sent me on a list of players who he has projected higher for the rest of the season. I'm going to share that with you now. Um, Sorry, this list is projected higher versus Yahoo's projected rest of season. Um, The players who he has ranked 50 plus spots higher than what Yahoo has ranked. Uh, Ryan Getzlaff, Max Pacioretty, Mark Stone, JT Miller, Blake Coleman, Oscar Kleffbaum. The players who he has rated 20 plus spots uh, ahead of Yahoo are Brady and Matthew Kachuk, Ricard Raquel, Shea Weber, Sean Monaghan, Brock Nelson, Mark Giordano, Tyson Barry, Shea Theodore, Kevin Hayes and Thomas Tatar. And then on the flip side, the players who Joe has ranked lower are Sean Couturier, Andrei Svechnikov, Mike Hoffman, Seth Jones, Jeff Skinner, Darnell Nurse, 
Roman Yossi, Sebastian Aho, Blake Wheeler, Brent Burns, Alexander Barkov, Tavo Teravainen, Alex Debrinkit, Nikolai Ehlers and Philip Forsberg. So some of you may find some use in that if you're trying to weigh up whether to keep somebody or drop them or weighing up a trade proposal perhaps. Joe clearly knows what he's doing so thanks very much to him for sharing those names with us and I look forward to seeing how he gets on in the remainder of the season in Tier 1 in Sweden. Game Week 16 saw six new teams make the 2020 Kukupful playoffs and I'm going to list those off for you now. They are OVOs in Ottawa. Tuca and Bertie in San Jose, that's Ben Burnett's team. Ranton and Raven in Boras, that's my own team. Broad Street Ghost in Smaland. Stick and Pucksters also in Smaland. And then Phantom Offer Sheets also in Smaland. So those six teams joined the five teams who made the playoffs last week, making a grand total of 11 teams who have guaranteed their spot in this season's playoffs. Let's take a look back now at game week 16 and starting with the cupful team of the week. In goals it was Carey Price who played 4 games, had 2 wins, 7 goals against, 108 saves, 1 shutout and 29.8 fantasy points. He was the top scoring goaltender by quite a distance in game week 16 which was of course a 2 week game week. The top performing D-man was fellow Montreal Canadian Jeff Petrie who was helped out by a 4 assist game against Florida on Saturday. He had 1 goal, 4 assists, 10 shots, 11 hits and 3 blocks for 25.75 fantasy points. Not far behind him then was Quinn Hughes who is on a 3 game point streak. In the last game week he had 3 goals, 2 assists, 8 shots and 2 blocks for 24.5 fantasy points. At left wing then was Steven Stamkos with 4 games. He had 5 goals, 3 assists, 14 shots, 8 hits and 6 blocks. So filling up most of the categories there. He had 43.5 fantasy points and that made him the player of the week for game week 16. On right wing then is JT Miller, former Stamkos teammate. He had 4 games, scored 3 goals, 4 assists, 8 shots, 7 hits and 4 blocks for 33.25 fantasy points. And at centre then it's Leon Dreisaitl who in just 3 games had two goals six assists and 14 shots with a hit and a block for 34.75 fantasy points so averaging well over 10 points per game. Dreisaitl's point streak is now going back to December 28th and he leads the league with 83 points in 52 games which is a 130 point pace and would be the highest scoring season since uh, Jaromir Jagr and Mario Lemieux in 1995-96. Now let's take a look at the top 5 overall Kukupful teams sorted by points. And at number 5 it's Ovi's O's of Ottawa who I mentioned earlier have made the playoffs. Uh, at number 4 then it's Didjosi Makar in Matthias which is Kevin Hebert's team. At number 3 it's Tuca and Bertie who have also made the playoffs from San Jose. That's Ben Burnett. Uh, number 2 is Epic Time in Binghamton. Tom Crowhurst he's been there or thereabouts all season. And at number one, it's still Microsoft Excel from Anton. And the gap between Microsoft Excel and Epic Neal Time is just 28 points, so all could change there in game week 17. Um, There's really not much separating the top 10 or so teams, only about 100 points. Uh, So a good or a bad week there could throw anybody into or out of the top 5 for next week. The Kukupful Performer of the Week last week was Sasquatch Snipers from Ottawa with 328.2 points. 12.5 points ahead of the second best team, which was actually yours truly. Sasquatch Snipers are ninth in the overall Cupful point standings. They're a very well-rounded team. They are top 50 in each of the following categories. Goals, assists, shorthanded points, shots on goals, hits and shutouts. Um, This is the first time that a team in Ottawa has actually been the team of the week. Sasquatch Snipers are 4th in the division with a 9-7-0 record, having been 1-4-0 after game week 5. Um, they've been a touch unlucky, their expected wins are just over 10, so they're probably a win behind where they should be. 
Two of the players on their roster were actually named in the team of the week. That's Petri and Stamkos. And their roster also included the likes of Mika Zabanajad and Thomas Tatar, who each had six points in the last fortnight. Um, and also Frank Vitrano was streamed out after scoring a hat-trick. So that's the uh, strength of that team, that they could actually stream somebody out after scoring three goals in a game. And interestingly, we're 16 weeks into the season and 16 different teams have topped the weekly point standings at this point. Now, keeping the focus on last week's cupful matchups, uh, the matchup of the week, now there were no matchups that were actually decided by under two points this game week. So what I did was I had a look at a close and high scoring matchup and that was Eichel, Scott Paper and I'm Bo Yo in Smallland in Tier 4. Both of those sides were 7 and 8 going into the matchup with Aimbo Yo holding the 6th and final playoff slot on points differential only. Both sides were over 20 points above the average Kukupful score of 2-3-3 last week and Eichel Scott Paper mounted a valiant comeback effort on the Sunday outscoring their opponents by 37 points to 12 but it just wasn't enough unfortunately as Quinn Hughes and Tavo Taravainen recorded assists and they were enough to see Aimbo Yo prevail by just 4.3 points. But you get the feeling that that won't be the end of that rivalry and there's plenty more to come between now and the end of the season for both of those teams. This week's deep dive originated as a question from Elan on the Facebook group when he was asking if anyone had made more moves than his team. And the short answer to that question is no. Uh, his 67 moves are indeed the most of any team in the 18 divisions of the Kukupful. To expand on that, I've taken a quick look at how the number of moves made correlates to a team's total points and win percentage at this stage of the Kukupful season. And the first thing I did, as is often the case with me, was to create a group of graphs that I can visualise the information more easily. I'll share these graphs in the Facebook group after I release this episode, so you can take a look at those. And the graphs very clearly show that both win percentage and total points were positively impacted by a higher number of moves. The Kukupful has a four-move limit per game week, and the average number of moves made across all divisions at this stage of the season is 33 moves per team. The lowest is just two, and the highest, as I mentioned, is Elan on 67. So to analyse this and make it more easy to convey the information on this week's deep dive, I broke the Kukupful down into four tiers or manager types, based on the number of moves made by each team. Those manager types are, one, the laissez-faire manager, who has made 21 moves or fewer. Number two is the light streamer, who has made 22 to 32 moves, so just below average. The next is the heavy streamer who's made above average from 33 to 48 moves. And then the final one is the elite tier streamer, 49 plus moves. Looking first then at the laissez-faire manager, there are about 68 teams who fall into this bracket. They have an average points total of 3,587, which equates to an average win percentage of 0.442, or just about 7 wins from 16 matchups. Their expected win percentage is 4.56, which is 7.3 expected wins. Their average division standing then is ninth. so that's the laissez-faire manager. If we move up a tier then, the light streamers, there are again 68 teams that fall into that category. Their average points are 3,628, so that's 41 points higher than the previous tier. Their average win percentage then increases accordingly to 0.485 or 7.75 wins. Their average expected win percentage is 0.473 or 7.6 wins. And their average division standing is 8th, which if you remember the laissez-faire manager was ninth. so you've moved one position up just by making those few extra moves. 
The next tier up then is the heavy streamer who have made 33 to 48 moves. There are 66 teams that fall into this bracket. Their average points are 3732 which is 104 points more than the previous tier, the light streamers. Their average win percentage is above average, it's 0.52 which is 8.3 wins or an average expected win percentage of 0.53 which is 8.5 wins and their average division standing is 7th. So again, you've moved up another tier and you've moved up one position in the standings and then the top tier of movers and shakers is the elite streamer tier of which there are 50 managers they average 3804 points which is 72 points higher than the previous tier which was the heavy streamers they have an average win percentage of 0.573 or 9.2 wins an average expected win percentage of 0.558 or just under nine wins and their average division standing is sixth so once again you've moved up one space in the standings by moving up a tier So my conclusion from this is that although it isn't a hard and fast rule, the numbers do show that those players who stream and move more have better results. Roughly speaking, for each quartile you move up, you gain roughly a position in the standings. This only works, however, in a league where there are each of the four types of player that I've already mentioned. Of course, you have to stream the right players for your team at the right time. It isn't just a case of streaming any old nobody into your lineup on the last day of your matchup. And an example is in Elan and Joe's division in Sweden in Tier 1. You have the best of the best competing. Ten of those 14 teams are considered in the heavy or elite streamer bracket by the metrics that I've mentioned. And the division as a whole has made around 30 moves more than the next busiest division, which unsurprisingly is Tier 2 San Jose and shortly after that then Tier 2 Ottawa. There is a gap then back to two of the divisions in Tier 3 and so on. There are plenty of exceptions to this and a really strong draft with close attention paid to off-day schedules can alleviate the need for streaming, but these teams are the exception rather than the rule. Of the top 50 highest scoring teams in the Cupful, 8 of the managers would be considered as laissez-faire, just 5 are considered light streamers, 19 are considered heavy streamers and 18 are considered elite streamers and that means that 74% of the teams in the top 50 make an above average number of moves. And that's it for this week's episode. Best of luck to everybody in game week 17. I'll be back next Monday to review the goings-on around the league. If anyone would like to come on and chat to me about their fantasy strategy and experience, please get in touch through the Facebook group, and I will chat to you next week.